0: It's the things we say and the way we start it is by introducing ourselves. I'm Sheldon and I'm Nate and we're back at it again. Um, We're enjoying this process of recording every week. It's gone really well for us. We
1: are. We actually kind of had a a, a thing tonight though. We decided that we were going to just be friends for a while tonight. So Sheldon got here like, what is it, like two hours, three hours ago? Something Something like like that. that. And we were just hanging out and talking about completely random stuff and it was kind of nice. To yeah. not be sitting in this format, and just being able to hang out for a little bit.
0: Yeah. Well, obviously, I mean, we're not gonna share some things with you guys because yeah. we uh, gotta have some secrets, something that happens off air.
1: Yeah, and we also have <laughs> something to use for future podcasts, possibly. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> so we gotta we gotta keep some ammunition rolling for that. But uh, yeah. So yeah, it's been so, a, it's been an
0: interesting <laughs> night so far. I I'm pretty sure it's not my turn to do the. Um, did you know? Segment this I'm, week. I'm good but with it though.
1: If you it.
0: My dad brought this one up, and I could not let it go because I was rolling with laughter. All right. Did you know that Rob Ford? Remember, he used to be. <clears throat> man, I got tacos stuck in my throat. Nice. I ate a soft taco before I came down. Literally, there. right before. Great. Um. <laughs> anyway, Rob Ford used to be the mayor of Toronto. Yes. And he's no longer with us. He, his addictions got the best of him, oh, and uh, I didn't actually know that that was a thing. Yeah, he's he's gone, okay. and his jolly roundness has faded away. <laughs> However, his brother, Doug Ford, oh no, is the premier of Ontario right now. <laughs> And my dad informed me that he became Premier of Ontario by promising a buck a beer. Oh, no. His campaign was actually based on a buck a beer. Um, And apparently, while my parents were in Canada this summer, a lot of people were upset because he was elected, he's in power, and they still can't take a loonie, which is a dollar in Canada, to the store and plunk it down and get a beer
1: oh my goodness
0: (laughs) see this is this
1: is the thing canada i i mean no disrespect to y'all okay you are a beautiful country with some beautiful (laughs) land and some amazing cities but you never got past being frontier people like things like that appeal to you way too much and again i know we in america have our own things with that too but come on, guys. I mean, really, that's, that's just, that's just you know, that's like I'm going to go out into the woods and trade these furs to some natives for for something. Like, that's that kind of thinking so once again.
0: Specifically, he did say that, uh-huh. but what he meant was that he's going to reduce Ontario's minimum price uh-huh. for a beer down to a dollar. Right now, it's at $1.25. <laughs> Why does Ontario have a minimum price for beer? Ontario had minimum pricing since 1993 as a part of the province's liquor board's social responsibility mandate. (laughs) Today, the minimum cost of 24-pack of lager is $30. Ontario is not the only other jurisdiction in the world to regulate the cost of alcohol in order to discourage excessive drinking. Most Canadian provinces have some kind of price regulations. And in May, Scotland implemented a law that set a floor on the price of booze, depending on how many units of alcohol they contain. Wales passed a similar law in June. (laughs) Oh my and basically, Ontario had strict regulations on this and they even banned the importing of cheaper alcohol from Quebec and America and other things. So it's been stringently held within the province and it was making Ontarians mad that they could not take $24 and go get a 24-pack. And he ran on the buck of beer. The problem is... Canadians, when you screw with the free market, just electing someone to power that says, I'm going to now make the minimum a dollar doesn't magically make your prices lower. Right, right. Because you haven't lifted the restriction on American beer. You haven't relifted the restriction on importing it from <laughs> Quebec. So who is making it? for that price no one in ontario is making it for that price oh changing it 25 cents does not change the market oh <laughs> but man. that does not matter because doug ford is in power good lord <laughs> this what? is more hilarious to me than anything that rob ford pulled off oh. You literally got people to vote for you because you promised them it sounds not like, free stuff, yeah. slightly
1: cheaper It sounds beer. Like, this sounds like a subplot or a sequel to Strange Brew. Have you ever seen that movie, yes. Rick Moranis? And Unfortunately, I have. Literally, the whole movie is these guys trying to figure out how to get free beer. That is the entire movie. That is what it consists of. It's not
0: very good, but it is very Canadian. It's
1: very quotable.
0: Very quotable.
1: What's that? The one scene where they're trying to get the mouse inside the beer bottle so that they can take it and say that there was a mouse in their beer? In their beer. But, yeah. Supposedly, isn't Canadian beer strong? Doesn't Canadian beer have a stronger alcohol content than United States beer? I have no idea. I
0: don't know that either, but I feel like that's a thing. Or was it a friend of mine at work that was telling me, it was a friend of mine at work. He was telling me that he had a friend that went to Canada and was disappointed when he went to Niagara Falls and crossed over. And, and they asked him, like, why were you disappointed? He's like, honestly, I expected to be greeted by some guy standing there in his underwear with like a Molson and like a fuzzy hat on and a hockey stick maybe and like just moose everywhere. He's like, I didn't see a moose. Everyone was normally dressed and unless you went into a restaurant you didn't see any beer at all. Yeah. And I'm like
1: Wow. Canada is just Canada's just so funny to me because it's it's literally like a committee got together and say and said, How can we be just different enough from the United States to screw with Americans who come here? Like I feel like that was their sole Jim, intent. Jim
0: Carrey said it this way on comedians in cars getting coffee. And he told he told Jerry, Jerry Seinfeld, he's like Canada is like if aliens came down and they studied us and then they took you away and they put you on their planet in what they thought America was like. (laughs) And you're like wandering around, you're like, oh, okay, everything seems normal, but not quite right. (laughs) Yeah. Wait, you call this what? You guys do what? This is a what? (laughs) Why are the speed limits weird? Oh man, it's not—it's not wrong. It's just it's just not, not quite, quite right. The same. Yeah,
1: <laughs> not wrong, just not quite right. That is. And
0: I love my Canadian citizenship, and I won't give it up. Yes. It's just fantastic. Yes. but a dollar a beer—that was that is was a that huge was whole deal platform in Ontario. Hey, you gotta at least appreciate the honesty of a platform like that. We're not that far off. <sighs> Newt Gingrich promised. Two dollar and fifty cent gas. Do you remember that? I forgot about that. He promised you two dollar and fifty cent gas. Obama gave it to you, but uh, yeah. Newt Gingrich promised it to you. Yeah, based on what he was seeing on market trends. Of course, of course, because Newt <laughs> he's not
1: Saudi for whatever he may be. He is no dummy. Um, but. Jeez. <laughs> oh, yeah, I, I can't talk <laughs> about politics tonight. There's too much stuff. It's I'll okay. just end up in a random rant, so we'll have to just leave that alone. I'll just wave at it as it goes by and just be content. There it was.
0: The Ford family, the Canadian Ford family is infinitely more interesting than the American Ford <laughs> family. I'm just going to say that. American Ford family seems more productive, less yes. interested in politics. Yes. Maybe, but. <laughs> at least on the surface. Far less hilarious. Jeez. And slightly less chubby. okay
1: so what are we actually talking about tonight
0: today we've we've gone off on political rants lately we've gone off on sports rants and all of this is is great and fine and wonderful but tonight i want to do something positive that might help some people out and help us out just get some things out i want to talk about not things we say but things we did right Mm. um i think a lot of people look back on their lives and we can quickly see the things that we did wrong. We can see the things that we regret and you ask people their regrets or things that they would change. Those things come readily mind. When you ask somebody, okay, what have you done right to get to where you are? I feel like that's the kind of things that I would like to ask a successful person, mm-hmm. but I rarely ask myself. Yeah. Like I I would if I got a chance to sit down with the CEO of the company I work for and I could ask him a couple questions, which I'm sure I could, I could just wander into his office and ask him, I right, probably right, should, right. but um, what are some things you did right? How did you, how did you uh, get to where you are with your family or with your business or with uh, you know your spiritual life, whatever it is? Um, how did you get to where you are? What, what are some things that you feel really set you up for success, um, whether that was something in your single life or while you were unemployed before you got employment or whatever it is, or after you were first married that first year, something that you did really well. Yeah. Um, or with your kids, like we both have kids, uh, that are, they're starting to get a little older. Yours are going through toddler phases yeah. and, and, but you don't have any infant infants right you now right now. So right. you're they're they're progressing along. Right. And you're like, what are some things that I did really well early on that I'm so glad that I did. Yeah. Um, so, I thought we'd just talk about that a little bit yeah. and just see where we come out. Did you have anything that was jumping to mind right well, away when I said that?
1: Honestly, the, the first thing that comes to mind, because I'm, I'm I'm trying to go back to, like, childhood on and, mm-hmm. and and thinking up through into my life. But the first thing that came to mind for me was that I never, one of the things I did right is I never rebelled against my parents. Okay. And by that I mean... Did I take every bit of advice they ever gave me, which ended up being right in the end? No. There were times when I was bullheaded and I did what I wanted to do, and they gave me the freedom to make some choices, you know, within boundaries, uh, depending on what age I was and different things like that. But I never, ever thought my parents were idiots or thought that they didn't know anything or thought that their advice was useless or just outright rebelled against them. Um, there w- that was just not in me to do um, you know, part of that was, I think how I was raised, but also just my makeup. I'm not, I'm, I am a, uh, I'm a pot stirrer by nature, but not a straight up rebellious type person. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you give me a rule without a reason, I will push at it to see if the reason is back there somewhere. Um, but if I trust you and I have a relationship with you, I'm, I'm not going to do anything to, yeah to violate that, that trust. Um, so I think that was honestly one of, the, one of the best things I did growing up was I valued what my parents thought. I valued what my parents had to say. I respected their opinions. Um, and, of course, as a very small child, I respected the fact that they controlled the rod, uh, so to speak, yeah. and, uh, and used it when it was necessary. Um, but I, I, I think that that set me up for a lot of success, even with my... Um, my ups and downs, you know, through my teenage years and, and early adulthood, you know, trying to find out who I was really becoming, that was invaluable to me, having their guidance and, and, and thinking of them as
0: valuable all along the way. For me, I was going to go there right away. Yeah. As um, if you're a kid, if you're a teen, like honoring your parents and by honoring them, I, I for me, I'd never gave them the satisfaction of knowing that they were right. <laughs> So my parents gave me a lot of good advice, and f- there for a while they would tell me, or in my early teen years, there's a lot of telling me what I will and will not do. Yes. And I do remember the specific conversation I had with my dad when it was a fairly heated moment, but he basically said, look, I am done raising you. If you want my advice from here on out, you can ask for it, but it's not. It's not just gonna. I'm not just gonna tell you what to do anymore. Right. Like, I'm gonna give you advice, and you should follow it. But <laughs> you do what you want. Yeah. Basically. And I was like, oh, this is new. Yeah. This is a new thing, because that had not been how it was. Right. But me and my dad and and my mom had fairly heated, long drawn out arguments. You know, people that would say. Oh, you're claiming now that you honor your parents when you were in teenage years. I remember seeing you going back and forth, blah right, blah. Right, right. And yeah, there were there were those times. My brothers and sisters can tell you all about it. Oh it yeah, it was it was epic sometimes. <laughs> but in the end, I I was when I first read the story, the parable in the Bible about the father who had two sons. Yeah. And he had a had a vineyard that needed taken care of or something like that. Mm-hmm. And he goes to the first son and says. Will you go take care of this for me? And the oldest son says, no, I've got something better to do. And so he goes to his second son and says, hey, will you go take care of this for me? He's like, yeah, absolutely. I'll go take care of it. And the first one actually did go and end up taking care of it. And the second one did not. Yeah. And he says, who who do you think the father was more pleased with? That's my story. Yeah. I am the first kid. I will tell you to your face. No, I don't like your role. I don't like your idea. Here's why. I need to know, I need, like you said, poking at it to see if there's anything behind the rule. Like, I want to know why, and you're wrong, and you can't tell me to do this. Yeah. Would I outright disobey you? No. Yeah. In the end, I was still going to do it. Right. My, my parents were a whole state away and told me that I couldn't go to my high school prom. Cause they had some sort of hang up some problems and that's fine. They had their own reasons for that or whatever. Yeah. And I, you know, I could have easily gone. I was a whole state away. They couldn't really stop me Yeah. and I obeyed them yeah. and I didn't go. And so, and later on, all my brothers and sisters did their own thing and you know, whatever. Yeah. So I, I did, I did come around to honoring them. And I think my parents knew that in the end, I was going to do what they asked me to do, even if there was a fight up front. Yeah. Even if there was a no, I'm not going to do it. I, I would always come through in the end. And I think that has, that has reaped a lot of benefits in my relationship with my dad and my mom mm. and my brothers and sisters, people like that, that knew they could depend on me. First of all, to give them an unvarnished and honest opinion <laughs> right up front. Yeah. And I'm going to tell you exactly what I think about it but in the end you can count on me and i'll be there and i'll i'll be taking care of my end of it right right so I, I do think that was one of the things that really set me off r- right um, and since we're only talking about that side i won't talk about the things i regret yeah. on the other side well, of it and,
1: and and i'll but i'll even i'll speak to that really quickly i mean even being positive i don't have any none of the regrets i have growing up ever co- <clears throat> have ever come from a situation where my parents gave me advice and i followed it Yeah. It's always been from the opposite. It's been the times and and Sheldon and I were actually talking about one or two of them tonight where my parents told me, Hey, we really think you should do this, but gave me the option and I Mm. and I chose poorly. I chose to do the thing opposite of what they said. And I have regrets from that to this day. Yeah. Um and again, they you know, for those of you who are younger that are listeners, you know, your parents have wisdom that you don't have. They've had experiences, they've been through stuff. Um, and they love you more than the majority of people that you've surrounded yourself with. Yeah. Um, and as a parent now, I can definitely tell you that very strongly. They love you more than those people. Um, so so that, was a, that was a big plus for me. And I think, yeah, as you're saying, a big plus for both of us was uh, being able to honor our parents and, and value them. Uh, and what they brought to the table in terms of not just raising us, but even even now. I mean, I I value my relationship and, and the advice of my parents now more than I ever have. And I'm sure. almost, I'm nearly thirty five years old, and uh, and that has not. Uh, it's only changed in that it's intensified. Uh, the older I've gotten. Sure, uh, for sure.
0: And I I do think like for some of you teens, I would I would say straight up, don't throw away the relationship with your parents mm-hmm. over something that seems monumentous right now, Yeah, but don't, don't risk the entire thing because there will come a day where you're going to want their advice on something far more serious than what yep. you're fighting about now. Yeah, And there will come a day where you want to ha- be able to speak into their life. Like they're going to, they're going to be making huge decisions about the whole, uh, about the whole direction of your family. Yeah. And you'll be an adult, and you want to have a relationship there where you can speak to that from a place of love and respect and not a place of, well, you know, I know we never talk, but here's what I feel, you know. So I've seen the other side of that with people that have thrown away their relationship with their parents over something stupid, and now things really do matter, and you have no say. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, One of the things, just random, and I think we should... Let's do, let's do a couple things that we did that were fairly easy. Okay. Um, one, of, one of the things that was easiest for me to do, while I was single, I started putting into a 401k at my work. Uh-huh. And I put in the maximum amount that my company would match. Yeah. And no more. Just that set percentage all to take care of the whole company match. So I'm like, hey, I'm playing the market with free money. And, you know, if I lose anything... I'm not going to lose all of it all the way down to where I'm starting to lose my money. I just right. lose the company's money. Who cares? <laughs> so I stayed, in, I stayed in fairly aggressive stocks, which was good. Um, and when, when, you're, when you're young, they're going to tell you to do that. Yeah. And when they're old, they tell you not to. But I don't know. I think a fairly aggressive mix the whole way is pretty good. Yeah. And I kept that percentage going. And I got married, and my wife didn't know how to read a paycheck really well. She just knew to look at the bottom amount and she took care of all our finances and I wasn't making hard I wasn't making a ton of money yeah. like I was making slightly above minimum wage maybe a little more but I I wasn't I wasn't making bank by any stretch and it was really tight to get like baby formula and stuff like that when we first had yeah. our babies and just looking back it says if I would have known what that line item was <laughs> in our check It would have been coming out. Yeah. But now at 34, (laughs) I'm sitting there and I'm looking at the amount that's in there. And without that little seed that I was planting at 19, 20, 21, making very little money, but putting some away and just getting the ball rolling. Because of some situations in our life, I haven't been able to put in for the last couple of years. Yeah. And it hasn't mattered. Yeah. Because the stock market's been crushing it. And it's like... All that, whatever I'd put away before has really powered us through the last couple of years as far as retirement goes. Do I wish I could be putting into this market? Absolutely. Right. But um, really simple, really yeah. easy um, because I started it and it was just a percentage and I totally forgot about it. Yeah. It has really, really helped us. Yeah. Put it there. Forget about it. Make your wife happy. Yeah. Because she wasn't happy then, but she is now. Yeah, she is now. Yeah. So, no, that's good.
1: That's good. And I was I was one of those people that I was a big saver, but I didn't actually understand what investing was and how that even worked up sure. until recently even. I mean, that's been a that's been a fairly
0: recent uh uh step that we've taken. But yeah, that's that is that is really good. I love it and I took the Dave Ramsey financial peace course and I had already been doing my own mix with stocks cause, or the mutual funds that you're allowed to with 401k. So like I understood some of it. And then he was showing us like the mix and I'm like, oh, that's what I'm shooting for. Yeah. And I adjusted it slightly to meet that. And really people argue with him all the time on the gains and stuff that he says that he that you can get through the right mix of mutual funds the dude is not lying. You can get these numbers at least on the low end of the numbers that he's talking about and it works it works out in your favor. Like 9 to 12% is not is not insane. He's not just pulling these out of nowhere. And yeah. people argue with it all the time and it's because they're not willing to do what he's telling them to do. Right. And if you you put it anyway, this is the whole pitch. Yes, yes. But I I do love this stuff and and I you know I'd love to get into it with just about anybody yeah. with that stuff because it was easy for me. And yeah, uh, my time of investing in the market was an opportune time. I get that. It yeah. might not hold out for all my all my working days, but I'm super glad that I've done it.
1: Yeah, without a doubt. So, without a doubt. Yeah, that's really good. Mm. <clears throat> um, one, of the, one of the things that I did right is I, I have always pursued... Uh, whether it's as a mu- as a musician or as a father or as a husband or any of the things basically anything I've ever done in life I've always pursued the advice of my betters gotcha like I I see somebody who like you were said you said earlier you know somebody who's killing it doing something and I'm like I want to get up next to that person and see what they're doing right I want to experience sure. what they're doing right and and so I I was always eating up anything anybody had to offer me or throw my way um, you know i'm a I'm a voracious researcher like I love I will spend months of research i I carry a little pen in my pocket this little yeah Parker jotter pen actually it's not in my pocket now i I put it in my dump tray upstairs but um i I did like two months of research before I picked the pen that I was gonna have for my everyday yep. carry pen because I value the the experience that other people have had and I don't want to make mistakes just because. I, I rush into something bullheadedly so I, I I've always been and, and, and musicians have that culture very much there's there's a sense of of camaraderie amongst musicians, where you share your knowledge and you you want to help the the person who's starting out, and you want to get next to the person who's like a virtuoso of what they do. Like, so I think being a musician really contributed to that drive in me. And yeah. I know it exists in other things. I know that it exists in sports, but there's also, especially sports. I feel like there's enough ego where that can also become problematic because it becomes more competition than, uh, than anything else sometimes. But I've I've always really um, that's always been a really big priority for me and still is in a lot of ways. And again, I think that even trails off of uh, my relationship with my parents and and seeing the benefits that I've had there. Uh, But getting up next to people who have I like the way that what they do has turned out, and so I want to glean from from what they have to
0: offer. Yeah. Um, Another thing that I've done that was fairly easy um, with my kids is as soon as they were able to get the concept of like, this was a good experience, this was a bad experience kind of thing in yeah. their lives. And uh, just talking about in terms of highs and lows. And a lot of times when your kids will come home from school or they'll come home from an event of some kind where they were gone from you, you say, how did it go? And they would be like, it was fun. We, we were fine. And I'm like, how are your friends? Oh, everybody's okay. Yeah. And you never get any kind of good information. Um, some of my best conversations with my kids have been, okay. Uh, you were gone. You did this thing. You were at school, whatever. Give me a high and a low for today. Yeah. What was your high? What was your low? And yeah, I I remember like Rylan one day he had this whole long story about a high in his day, and I'm like, so what was the low? And he's like, some of the kids were picking on this one kid at school today, and it made me really sad. Mm. And I'm like, really. He's like, yeah. And he's, he went in and like, I get kind of emotional. And he's like, he's like, uh, talking about how he really felt compassion for this kid and like went and befriended him right after or in the middle of what was going on. And I'm like, that was really cool, buddy. Like, you know, and you really, I really felt like I tapped into something there and it wasn't, it wasn't anything that I would have gotten because we were just out there driving around. Yeah. And I was like, so how did school go? And you get the, oh, it was good. We had fun. And he had this whole long high. But when you ask him about a low point, it makes it replays the day in a different yeah, way. Yeah, that's good. And, and so it, it helps them go through their memory tape in just a different way. And I think you randomly access some really cool things that way. Yeah. Um,
1: um, one thing that I got right, especially pertaining to my relationship with my wife uh, before we even got married is we talked about hard things early. Oh, we, we, we talked about heavy things in, in each other's lives, you know, months, just months into our dating process because at that point, that's a risk. Yeah, it is a risk, but it was, it was one that was worth taking. And, and as, you know, for lack of a better term, as the the male in the relationship, I, I felt the need to initiate some of that stuff because I was like, we need to you need to know where I stand and what I think and what I feel and what I've experienced up to this point so that you can make an informed decision here. Like you need yeah. to you need to have all the cards. Um so being really open and honest and having some brutal Brutally honest conversations, uh, just about past, about history, about family dynamics, all kinds of those things. Really early on in the relationship was was something I do not regret at all. And actually, that sounds. I don't like using even that name. I'm very pleased that that we chose to do that. Yeah. Um. It really got us off on the right foot in terms of communication. Um. And it really exposed some of the issues that we were able to go into our marriage knowing we're going to have to work these things out as we go. Like there there were very there was one major surprise that we had, uh, which I'll relate a little bit later, uh, early in our marriage, but we were already on the right track that we were going to eventually discover this thing. So for me, that having real, I mean, real conversations about real things very quickly um, and, and tacking onto that, um, a, a recommendation that I will make to, to anyone, if you're not old enough to get married, don't date. Like just don't do it. It 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 doesn't. It, Sheldon and I were recounting some of our relationship stuff to each other tonight, uh, just dating history, and whatever. Like I'm telling you guys, and unless you're old enough to get married, or in a place where you're you're feeling ready to get married, it's just not worth it. There's a whole lot of investment that happens. There's a whole lot of hurt and heartache that goes on, and nobody really ends up better for it. Uh, it's, it's not, it's not really all that it's cracked up to be. Um, and if you're gonna, if you're gonna start dating, be honest with the person that you're, you're going out with say, Hey, I'm dating for marriage. Like the fact that we're sitting across the table from each other means that we think there might be potential for that. I'm not saying that you need to say that you're going to marry every single person you're dating, but take it with that kind of seriousness, with that kind of, uh, with that kind of gravity to the situation. And of course still have fun and still, you know, have a good time and do what you're going to do. But, um, don't yeah. Don't don't treat it as a flippant thing. That if, that if, will that will be a good thing. That will that will help. That will be very helpful
0: in life. I feel like even if you're not quite old enough to get married, but you want to date ahead of time and see you know what you'd be looking for yeah in a life partner, and I think if you're dating ahead of time and that kind of thing, once you see something that you say, I wouldn't marry this person. Yeah. Get out. Yeah. And do them the favor. Yep. Of saying, you know what, this this relationship, I can see an endpoint already, whether that is way down the road or wherever. But when you see that there's an endpoint where this doesn't end in marital bliss, right? You know, if you see that coming down the pike, just be like, this whole time has been great, like we've been (laughs) going along great. I'm, I I have to get out because this is this is not gonna. And where you think it's gonna end or where I would like it to end. So without a doubt. And and I think once you see those flags, you probably you you need to do people the favor of ending it and like giving them the dignity of a face-to-face conversation, you stupid text breakup yeah. people. Yeah, don't ever do that. <laughs> do not ever do that. Anyway. That, that didn't happen to either of us, so no. I don't think, so no, we're good. it did not. But, um, <clears throat> yeah, for me, one of the things that I found out early on th- was that I don't self-regulate very well at all. Yeah. Um, I, I feel a lot of things. I like go by the seat of my pants, kind of, and, and I don't self-regulate, like, where my heart is at, where my stuff is at spiritually you know how the relationship is progressing physically none of this stuff crosses my mind to like hey let's put a let's put a barrier here so we don't run through and so i had to early on in dating like put down some specific rules for myself yeah and then communicate those to the person I was dating, like, hey, I'm not going to do this physically. I'm not going to do this spiritually. I'm not going to do this emotionally. Yeah, I had to put those checks in place for me because my heart, as soon as I'm dating somebody, is like we're getting married. This is so fun, you know? So yeah, for me, that was, that was helpful. And uh, I don't know that it's for everybody, but I mean, some, some people are very good at self-regulating. My wife, I'm pretty sure if there was no man-made laws would have plenty of rules for her own self. (laughs) And I would be like, wow, everything is legal. This is fantastic. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. So for Um, me making some simple, and I've, like for me, it was important to make it on all three levels ph- physically, emotionally, spiritually, because I'm generally unaware of like necessarily what I'm, what I'm doing in the long range impact of it unless I make myself aware. Yeah. You know?
1: Yeah. Um, one thing that, that I've learned, I think I've picked up being in a ministry family, because uh, I'm a third generation in yeah. a ministry family, you, you pick up <laughs> different things relationally than, than people who aren't in ministry. Yeah. Um, and one of the things that I've learned and I think has served me well, and it sounds cynical to say it, but I'll explain it once I do, is, is welcome quickly, trust slowly. Gotcha. Um, I think far too often we go into friendships or, or any other, any relationship, business relationship, anything, and we automatically go with, I'm going to start with, I trust this person until they give me proof otherwise that is a really, really bad way to do relationships because it sets you up to be in some ways victimized or traumatized by certain situations relationally. Um, and again, like I said, that could be related to business or or personal relationships. So what I've always taken the the thing is, is I'm going to be welcoming. I'm going to accept you in as... You know, part of my tribe, but we're gonna we're gonna work on trust and see how trust develops over time. Uh, don't yeah. just automatically go in and feel like you can spill your guts to the a person like the day after you meet them, uh, because you don't know that person. You don't know what they may uh, have in their own life that they're dealing with. You don't know what kind of uh, trust issues they have. You don't know how trustworthy they are. I mean, there's there's all kinds of things. So um, be welcoming. But uh, slow to trust, quick to welcome, slow to trust. And again, it sounds cynical, but it's not. It's, it's self-protection, but it's also protection for those that you're in relationship with. Sure. Um, understanding that trust is earned. It is, it's not something that's given. It's not an automatic. Uh, trust is something that has to be earned and, of course, has to be given over time. You can't be a suspicious personality. Uh, but start off with that boundary of I, I am going to start right now. This is the beginning of our relationship, so I'm going to start learning to trust you as our relationship progresses. Open yourself up in that way, but don't go straight to, I will trust you with anything and so everything. So a
0: broad outer circle and a fairly small inner circle. Yeah.
1: And and again, that was one of the things ministry-wise for us. You know, when, when we were younger, you know, you never know if you're going to be moving, if you're going to move to another church. So you have a close circle of friends, but in the end, your family is what you know you're going to end up with. When, when, And again, being being in, uh, in your your environment too, you know, kind of the missionary kid thing like that, It's very very similar vibe. Even though you had some normal circles you were traveling in, there's still the consistent thing is family. And um, again, I'm not going to be I'm not one of those people whose family loyalty at all costs because sometimes family does things that should not be adhered to. I mean, that's just that's that in and of itself can be a toxic thing. But um, so that I feel like that really taught me that whole idea of of you know be slow to trust trust. Ease into trust. Don't just don't just give it away quickly, because it's a valuable thing, and uh, and shouldn't be treated lightly.
0: So let's talk about some things that we did that were kind of hard to do, yes. but we're glad we did. Um, for me, that would have been something that seems like it wouldn't be that hard, but sleep scheduling our kids. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, for for us, um, Jess read a book early on in our relationship that was, or in our kid having years about sleep and the importance of sleep yeah and she really latched onto it and there was a phrase in the book that and we've used it as a byword ever since is that sleep begets sleep the more uh- sleep that someone has the better they sleep yeah if you're out of rest you tend to get worse rest when you rest yeah and a lot of people think about it backwards they think that if i stay up till midnight then I'll sleep really hard when I go to sleep. I'll actually be tired and I'll sleep all night long. Yeah. Actually, you get worst rest. If you get yourself in a regular going to bed at 10 and waking up at 7 yeah. or something like that, and it's regular sleep and you get more of it, you can actually lengthen your time that you're asleep and get better sleep. Um, and this is especially true with kids. Yeah, um, people, people experience that way of thinking as an adult, in college, whatever, they end up as an adult, with that being their pattern, and then they're like, okay, now I have this kid, if I let them stay up till 10, then they'll sleep in. Yeah. Like, if they're normally waking up at 7, and, I, and they're going to bed at 9, okay, now if I let them stay up till 10, 10.30, they're going go to they're gonna sleep till 8, 8.30, that's not the case. That no. kid will be up at 6 30. Yes. And now you have a kid that's running on way less sleep than normal, and it's gonna be a bad day yes. for you. Yeah. And until you get that kid back in, and it takes almost an entire week or sometimes more of regular same bedtime, same wake up time. Yeah. And and keeping that bedtime stringent, steady, no matter what, and keeping it through. Yes, we did not have a lot of friends over this time we didn't have a lot of hangout time we watched a lot of netflix you know we did a lot of things quietly in our living room because our house was not insulated well yeah and the kid had to sleep and they went to bed our kids would sleep like seven to seven yeah and then after a while they were like eight to seven and right now they are eight and eleven and they go eight to 8.30 till about 6.30 to 7, somewhere in that mm-hmm. range. And they still do it. Yeah, um, And we can tell the nights that we go past 8.30. And it was hard. Yeah. It was one of the hardest things I've ever done, um, discipline-wise, relationship-wise. Um, but looking at the performance of my kids yeah. in school, looking at the way they've developed physically and emotionally, yeah. in every way, I trace it back to they got really good sleep They knew the standard, and for us, there was a year with Elena that I still call the summer from hell. (laughs) Um, And that that ran a good, like, spring to fall of just absolutely fighting every bedtime, every nap time, every single time. There was not a time that she did not fight us. And if we had guests over that evening and we were determined we were going to have adult conversation – that would absolutely be the night that it oh, was yeah. three to four times where just absolute defiance of the yeah. rules that were in place, the norms that she knew. Yeah. But she knew that we would have to follow through on the discipline if we were going to have a standard at all, yeah. and that we w- didn't want to do that when other people were around because she would throw – it would be a big scene, and uh, we did it anyway. And yeah. for those of us that that – those people that are still our friends after going through all that, we really appreciate you. And yeah. those of you that never came back to our house after that, we totally get it.
1: <laughs> well, and we, and we kind of have done the same thing with our kids. Um, Strong was really difficult. We, we had he fought sleep, even as a newborn. Excuse me. He fought it so hard. And Kayla, my goodness, she's a machine. She was just determined that she was going to sleep train this kid and, and did and did a great job. And he'll normally sleep about at least 12 hours a night now. Uh, the problem is now with him is that we've also started potty training. And just for those of you who, who don't know, potty training boys is hard. Like, it yep. is it is. they want to hold on to things. And I'm not sure why, but they will wait all day until they get a diaper on, and then just explode in it. And he does that. So he waits until night, and just won't do it. Won't go. Don't have to go. And then so he'll he'll get up several times. And Sheldon's experienced this when he's come over to record podcasts. He'll just get up and screw around, and you can tell uh, why he's up. And so you're just like, I'm I'm gonna wait till this thing comes, and then I'm gonna threaten the spanking. And every time it, without fail. If you if you're changing the diaper at the end and you say, Okay, and if you get up you're gonna get a spanking now, okay, and he'll go to sleep. So it's not a, an issue of defiance, it's an issue of uh <laughs> it's a bowel issue <laughs> oh, man. in his case. But Awen, man, she was awesome. From the minute we, we got her in the hospital, um she just would sleep no yep. no thing. Uh nothing at all. It's 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 not been hard for her at all.
0: My daughter, three days of potty training. My son probably about Three years, yeah, till it was actually consistent and we could count on it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. My favorite phrase from early on in the potty training is uh, Ryland had figured out that if he tells us, if we tell him it's okay, then it was okay. So he decided that anytime he does something that he knows is kind of bad, he would just tell us it's okay. Yeah. So he came downstairs the one evening. <laughs> he's like, "It's okay, mommy. I pee on the wall." <laughs> Nobody, it's not okay. <laughs> Which wall? We've got to see yeah. what happened here. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness, it's fantastic.
1: Yeah, and one <clears throat> thing related to parenting that I feel like we're doing well, and it's, as you said, you know our, you know our kids are, you know still in that kind of toddler phase. I mean, Strong's two, Aowen's one, uh, but one of the things that we've really been intentional about, from even when we started talking about having kids was wanting to discipline um, each child to their own personality yeah not saying that there would be inconsistency of of rules, not saying that there would be inconsistency of discipline overall, but understanding that you cannot treat each child as if they are exactly the same sure um, and it's it's really interesting even even now i mean we've we've realized that Aowen has a, a much greater tendency towards having a, a stinky attitude than strong ever has like he's yeah. a really happy-go-lucky kid and he'll you know do his little meltdowns where it's like oh but i don't want to do that but and it's and it's not that he's being defiant it's just he's two it's the only way he knows how to express himself is to cry a little and exclaim that he doesn't want to do a thing now again there are the times when the defiance comes out and you got a deal um, but just realizing that that we have to deal with each of them individually based on what their personality is, how they respond to discipline, what discipline methods work the best. Um, you know, just spanking for every kid doesn't always work. I mean, I've, yep. I've known some kids who they've gotten spanked and I've just watched them just like defiantly hold in any crying or whatever. Like they're just not going to do it. They're not going to break. But you sit them down for 10 minutes and you would think the world was going to end and it was devastating for them. So we've, we've really tried to, even in the early stages, understand that both of our children are unique individuals and they need to be dealt with as individuals. They're still just children. They're still don't know how to process everything. There's still guidance and correction and discipline that's needed, but they're still individuals and we need to treat them as that. And And that has been really uh, helpful for us. Um, and it helps keep us from getting frustrated with them because you, you're you looking at them as this is this how this little person deals with this. And I got to,
0: I got to Adjust my, uh, adjust my swing, so to speak, yeah. to that. My parents got creative with their punishments related to that because it was kind of based on the crime. But I do remember the one time like I would, I would get in this place where I would just be so raging mad that I could not say anything nice uh. to or about my particular brother or sister or whoever I was having the problem with. Yeah. And my parents would get two chairs and they'd sit you facing each other and you could get down. Once you told each other, you loved each other and that you were sorry. (laughs) These went forever. I would just sit <laughs> there in my mind being like, I hate, I hate you. I hate you. I hate you. I'm mad at you. I'm mad at you. I still hate you. And you're not going to make me stop. And oh like, I just could not, I couldn't bring myself to say it. And then eventually after a while you're like, fine, <laughs> <laughs> you just give up. I love you. I'm sorry. You well, know, and-, and, and that like, for me, that really like, cause it reinforced the idea that at the end of the day we're family and you're going to have to love each other yeah. and you're going to have to you're going to have to say you're sorry you're going to have to be okay yeah. you know
1: and and that's one of the one of the hardest things i would say about parenting that we've done is is and you mentioned it with the whole bedtime thing is is making the choice that you are going to win
0: that yep. is this really is the mountain that we're gonna die on. Yeah, that is
1: really hard. And I've only had one real situation with Strong where I've had to do that. I haven't had to do that with Aowyn because she is even though she's very feisty already at one and very like has attitude, she also is very like sensitive, like emotionally so. So it takes nothing to get her just to fall apart. You give her three yeah. stern no's and she will just melt down with the biggest crocodile tears and, and it's not anger, it's I don't even know what to describe it as when, she, when you're that little, but it's definitely not attitude or not anger. It's like a giving up and, again, only being able to express yourself in that way. But I'll never forget, as long as I live, Strong was about a one-and-a-half, and we were at my parents' uh, and, I mean, it was just me. My, my wife was working. Aowen uh, wasn't born yet, so it was just Strong. And he had asked for a sandwich, and he hadn't eaten all day, and he had eaten like two-thirds of it. And there was just this, this not two-thirds, I'm sorry, he'd eaten uh, like three-quarters of it, and there was just this one-quarter left. And I just knew he needed to eat it. It was just one of those things where he was getting distracted by other things. It wasn't that he wasn't hungry, but he just wanted to do something else. Yeah. And I was determined, like, dude, you're going you're gonna to finish this. Like, this is hardly anything, but I need you to finish it. And with my parents there, with my mom doing the whole, oh, Nate, just do this, just do that. And I'm like, no, like, I'm going to do this. This is what we're going to do for at least an hour we sat there and it and it went from him you know trying to throw a fit to him crying and begging me to let him get up and do something else to him just sitting there defiantly turning his head away and my mom afterwards said well you should have just spanked him and 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 made him do it. I'm like but I want I needed him to give up in that moment I needed wow. him to realize that I was going to outlast him and that I was going to win. And I didn't know how long that was going to take. I didn't know how long we were going to have to sit there to deal. Nope. Um, but it did. It was at least an hour. But eventually he gave in and he ate it and he was fine. And then everything was good. And I have not had to have a a long uh, standoff with him since. Because it's like, again, it was a silly thing. But I drew a line there. And so there's this, he has this innate understanding. Even though he probably doesn't remember that situation that I'm not going to give up, that I'm more stubborn than he is.
0: My mom had that exact situation with me when I was a kid. <laughs> and I was in my high chair, and she wanted me to eat one more spoonful of peas. That oh, was yeah. all that was left. Oh, yeah. And I defied her and defied her for a long time and finally fell asleep in my high chair. And <laughs> my mom picked me up, put me to bed, and she's like, just left the high chair the way it was because I was going back in that as soon as I woke up. <laughs> she was sitting there doing something else. I woke up from my nap, walked out of the room, walked right to the high chair, picked up the spoon, put it in my mouth and walked on like nothing ever happened. She (laughs) still tells that story. Like just (laughs) unbelievable that you fought me that long. And finally, I was just going to wait you out and you fell asleep. And that's what you did. You just walked out with like, oh, peace. Yeah. Down they go. Yeah.
1: One one great thing uh, that we did re- have done related to marriage, or I guess I, uh, but and this wasn't necessarily something that was hard in terms of us together making the choice to do it, but it was hard in terms of the stigma that can be attached to it. Was that we determined. Really early in our relationship that if either one of us ever said, I think we need to go to counseling, whether the other thought so or not, we were going to go. Like that was, yep. that was a, not even a negotiable. The minute somebody says, hey, I think we need to go, we're doing it. Yeah. And um, about a year and a half into our marriage, uh, we, we went to a, a marriage seminar and realized that our perception of each other's families was not accurate. Uh, you know, I, I thought she had been raised a certain way. She thought I had been raised a certain way. And when we compared our notes, which was one exercise that we were supposed to do in yeah. that retreat, we're like, man, this is... And and we started realizing this is why we're having com- trouble communicating in some of these ways. And this is where some of these fears are coming in and turning into weird reactions, you know, when we don't know. It's like we go from zero to mad and we don't know why. And, and so, you know, at that point, Kayla was like, I think we need to find a counselor. And I was like, okay. And we did, and and it wasn't that we had a bad marriage or we had bad communication, because we had great communication up to that point. But it got so much better just doing that. Yeah. And uh, and now we kind of think of it like routine maintenance. We go in, you know, every once every couple of years, or if we feel like we're just kind of getting bogged down with something and don't feel like we're having breakthrough in it, uh, we do that. And uh, and it's been, again, like I said, the initial stigma of it was a little hard to get over, but it has been it has been one of the most life giving things in our marriage and, and that's I'm, really cool and i try to say it every time i have the opportunity if you if you have a spouse that tells you that they want to get counseling and you say no you are a fool do not yeah, be a fool and i mean that yourself. and i mean that in the biblical sense like do not do that yeah do not do that you're dishonoring uh the, the one that you've made vows to, do not do that. Go seek help, seek counseling, because if your spouse thinks you need help, you absolutely need help without a question. Yeah. Uh,
0: so do that. It's worth M4, it. And for, I mean, this comes from experience with some of the relationships I've had and stuff. If you're dealing with deep depression, you're dealing with something where you can't collect your thoughts or think yeah. rationally about something, don't be afraid to sit down and talk with somebody about that right um, yeah m- there were there were times where either me or Jess both would hit a one of us would hit a wall. We've never both been down together yeah, yeah. but there's been times where one of us has gone through a deep a deeper darker time and you really need to find someone that you can that can help you get unstuck yeah and and there's not a stigma in that like you need you need to do it just the same way as if you would go to a doctor for a cold that you can't right. get over right uh, or for an arm or or finger that just isn't healing right if if you've got something in your life whether it's physical emotional mental that will not heal won't get you off of that certain place in your marriage or whatever please yeah like take the time and, and go get help um One of the things that we did that's been both easy and hard is that neither of uh, us—we—we made a vow early on with our wedding vows, uh, but just to each other that we would never bring up the subject of of divorce at all. Yeah. Um, It's not a question. Yeah. It's one of the things that I vowed before I made vows to her. Yep. And one of the things that we talked about before that ever came up. Yeah. Um, If I commit to you so what if I have regrets or second thoughts or whatever, that is not anything that I'm going to express. Yeah. And, and it's, and it's something that it's a feeling it'll, it'll pass. It'll be fine. Yeah. And to be honest, I haven't had any of those, but, or, but there is always that fear before you get married. Oh, maybe I might think this, or I might think that, but at no time, no matter if we were angry uh, or if she got in her car and drove away from a particular argument or <laughs> not yeah. that that ever happened. Yeah, no, no, <laughs> no, never, no. Never. But uh, but neither of us would like hit the other one with like, we, you know, if we would ever get a divorce, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Like the word does not come up. So no. um, I, I would honestly say that's a great rule to have. It's yeah. not like I'm stuffing things down or, or trying to get rid of an emotion or anything yeah. like that. It's just that, Love love is a commitment more than it is a feeling. Yeah. And your feelings will change ninety seven times and but your commitment is something else. Yeah, without and, a doubt. And so yeah. Um the closest
1: the closest thing we come to with that is I I proposed to Kayla on April 1st on April Fools' Day. Ah, so I ah. keep telling her, hey, you know, this is just a long con, April Fools' joke. You know, I'm just gonna <laughs> wait till we're like 80 and be like,
0: ah, ah no, <laughs> April Fools' is just it's
1: all a joke. But that's as close as we get with that. But yeah, we've we've had you know the same thing. Like uh, that is not. I've told just not Jess, an even
0: recently, if you ever leave, I'm leaving with you. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> Uh. <laughs> anyway, um, <laughs> one of the things that was a little more difficult to do, but I feel like it really helped me, um, was sticking with a job. Uh, mm. I've seen that with a lot of people that are my age or younger, and that is, oh, I have this job right now, but there's this other job offer that has more money and you know, or yeah. I have this over here that I could do, or I could do this, or I could do that. And they're almost always focused on the next job down yeah. the line or what this is leading to. And it leads to a dissatisfaction of where you are. Yeah. Um and and I do think that if you commit to a job and you work at it long enough and hard enough, uh there's success on the other end. Yeah. I mean there's only so far you're gonna go in certain companies and after a while maybe the relationships are toxic or you realize right. this isn't going to work out it's not like a divorce to leave right like i you know i've changed jobs recently in the last two years i've i've changed jobs but the place i was at i've been there for 14 years yeah it was my first real full-time job that i held and i stayed there and i there was some jobs that i did were really really crappy yeah and there were some jobs that it just took me sticking it out and committing to it and learning something new um and and sometimes there was opportunity there that came my way and i didn't shut any door um but i really feel like that longevity that i laid down there even though uh, i can't point to any particular um education that I had to get into the working field. So I worked my way all the way up. I didn't have any background degree or whatever, but, um, now 16 years of full-time work. I've now worked as an airplane mechanic. I have worked as a salesman and have probably eight, nine years of sales experience, uh, probably six years of pretty good aircraft mechanic experience. Yeah. Um, Which who can say that? Exactly. Um, And worked, you know, at various different lawnmower shops and also now uh, working at a company that makes tractors and having a, and also taking opportunities at church when they were available to do speaking Mm -hmm. um, and to do teaching and, and just volunteer my time. Uh, The latest job that I got when I applied for an internal position at my company leveraged every single one of those things. Um, My speaking experience at church, my sales background, uh, which was just an opportunity that came up in my old company and something that I transitioned to at my new one, and uh, my mechanical aptitude were all a perfect fit for my new role, and it's not a job that I would have had a shot at yeah. without any of those experiences. Yeah. Um, and now I'm at a fairly successful company that's on their way up, and I'm in a brand new position that's new for me, new for the company, and they've placed a significant amount of trust in that because I've done, I've been faithful. Yeah. And that leads me to something else. Faithfulness, and I told Nate this the other day, but I've been thinking about this a lot. Faithfulness is only worth what you're doing in the moment. Yeah. Um, faithfulness in the past has a, has a significant amount of weight, but only it only matters in the context of now. Yeah. Of what you're producing now and what it's producing now. Uh, we don't look back on the life of somebody who screwed it all up at the end and say, well, they were really faithful. <laughs> they may have been faithful for 60 years, but then we found them to be unfaithful and yeah. now that's None a of mark that of unfaithfulness. Yeah. So being faithful and trustworthy and all of that is what you're doing now and what you've done in the past. Yeah. And I feel like a lot of millennials and people younger than me and even people my age will rob themselves of the opportunities that are created through faithfulness. Yeah. Just by not sticking it out and yeah. seeing where it leads. Yeah. That was really long. No, that's but-
1: good, though. That's good. Uh, the moral of that story, other than the really good one that Sheldon just gave you, is that if the zombie apocalypse ever happens, Sheldon is a guy that you want at your compound because he will fix all the things. <laughs>
0: or at least try. I mean, yes. that's something I got from my dad. <laughs> he used to say things like like some guy in China put this together. I can take it apart. <laughs> 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 and that applies to computers. I've seen it apply to a little Toyota Corolla. I've yeah. seen it apply to a lawnmower. My dad will regularly apply that type of thing, and I've learned to do that as well. Yeah. Listen, somebody else, somewhere else, put that together. There's a way of taking it apart and putting it back together, and it should work.
1: Oh, my goodness. <laughs> um, one thing that I, that, I, that I think was kind of caught uh, by me when, when I was being raised and that I really want to pass on to my children, and I'm trying to think of how to convey that, and, and we're working on some ways to do that. But, um, I have never attached any personal value to what I do. In hmm. that, I don't find identity in what I do. Oh, that's I love really cool. what I do. I'm, you know, being a being a pastor and being a musician and being. You know, a father and being a husband—like I love all of these things dearly, and they make up part of who I am. But I don't find my worth in any one of those things. Sure. Um, I've I've always, I've That's always really good.
0: Not a lot of guys can say that. Yeah. And
1: and I and I, I think I stumbled into it or backed into it accidentally, uh, just by nature of the way my family is and the way that uh, the way I was raised. Um, But also being in the church as much as I have been, it's like I've always had that understanding that my value is already defined by God, my identity is already defined by Him, and my job is to submit to the identity that He has given me. Yeah. Uh, not not to go chasing my own stuff. Not to be I, you know find my value in the things I do or the things I say or the things that I'm perceived to be by other people. But understanding that my value, my worth, and my identity are completely defined by Him. And again, that's an imperfect thing. I mean, I'm still I'm still working that out every day. Yeah. Um, but not having my my self worth invested in these other things is is really significant for me. And I, I remember, I, I never really realized this was a thing until I had a conversation with somebody recently and uh, they were talking about being on stage and, and you know, performing or, or leading worship or, or whatever, you know, you wanna, you'd want to call it in a given moment. And they basically said, you know, do you ever have those moments where you're in the middle of it and you just think, you know, I wonder what so-and-so is thinking about why I'm doing what I'm doing or like questioning how people are questioning your motives or whatever. And I was like, Honestly, no. Like, it's mm. never occurred to me because yeah. it doesn't matter. Like, what their perception of me is. Like, I mean, there's things that if people perceive me a certain way and it's damaging them or damaging my witness or my ministry, I need to correct those things, yes. But as far as, like, me trying to overanalyze and, and think how what I'm doing is being perceived or how people are uh, assuming my motives or whatever, like, that's just not a thing because I don't... Mm. It's not... My identity is not wrapped up in that at all. Yeah. Um, and, and that has been, again, not, not a hard thing, but I'm realizing it's a rare thing. And if it's something that you battle with on a daily basis, it would be a really hard thing to, yeah. to kind of force that into submission. Uh, but I'll, I'll say for sure it's worth it. I mean, I've, life is really awesome when, you, when you're when you not uh, continually questioning your own identity, your own value based on what you're doing or not doing. Um, And again, I would imagine it's a tough place to get to if you hadn't backed into it like I did somehow. Yeah.
0: One of the things that's been hard for me to learn, but that I'm glad that I'm now doing, is being able to tell people no. Yeah. Um, For a long time, I thought that if somebody at church asked you to do something, that it's akin to running away from God to not do that thing. Um, or. You feel you hear somebody make an impassioned plea for why you should be doing something, and you sign up, yeah, and you go you go to do it and a lot of people are that willing follower, willing helper and and people like to have those kinds of people on their team, yeah, um saying no is just as valuable, yeah than going along and doing everything and then burning out and doing nothing, right, you know. It, that's what it leads to. Um, Jess taught me this lesson because she used to be my no person. Like I would, I would say, well, I'd like to do that, but I need to talk to my wife. And then she'd say, no, you're not doing that. And here's the reasons why. And I'd be like, you are the no fun zone. This is where fun <laughs> goes to die. This is where all kinds <laughs> of ministry opportunity goes to die. This is where all of our hanging out with friends and blah, blah, blah goes to die. Yeah. You're just being mean. So she got tired of hearing that. And asked the Lord, you know, okay, God, how do I get him to say no? And so he told her, just leave him alone. (laughs) Let him make his own commitments, whatever he wants to do. Yeah. So for for a couple months, she just let me say yes to everything. And I said yes to everything. I was never home. Yeah. And uh, for a couple months. And then that went through like October, November, December. And then it came to January and we got through the whole December thing. And I was like, Jess, I don't want to go to church. I don't see any of the people from there. I I barely want to go to work. I just want to like, I don't know, stay home and veg out. And like, (laughs) I got to start saying no to some stuff. Like I'm crazy busy. I can't, I can't even see people anymore. I don't want this to happen. Yeah. And she's like, so you want to start saying no, this is good and she yeah. just let me find it all on my own and now I'm pretty good at saying no yeah and
1: well, and and one aspect of that that's great is is you know you touched on the one that that needing rest and needing recuperation and needing just that time with family and with yourself, but also I remember hearing somebody talk about it, you are literally robbing somebody else of the blessing of serving if you 're always saying yes
0: ah, yeah. because
1: there are other people who would say yes if they were given the opportunity, but hey you 're the go to and so people just come to you and ask you the thing and you say yes you 're the yes man
0: ah, and that's uh, good
1: and so always remember that that don 't feel guilty just think i 'm just passing the blessing of service on to somebody else
0: and and uh, our youth pastor just the other week just came to me and said. Hey, I, I know that when I ask you to do something, you're going to be honest with me and you're going to tell me whether or not you can do it. And I can depend on that. Yeah. He's like, even if you tell me, no, I'll be like, great. I'll just go find somebody else to do it. Yeah. You know? And I'm like, ah, that's the side I was missing, Yeah. you know, is that you're going to be grateful for me to say no. You're going to be be grateful to know that you can count on me when I say yes and you can count on me to tell you no if I need to. Yeah. So with that in mind, there are some things that I need to turn around and say no to pretty soon.
1: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Well, well, we're getting close to... Well, we're over time right now, actually. But what if we do just one more quick one each and then we'll wrap it Mm -hmm. up. Uh, One of my greatest things that I got right Mm -hmm. uh, and and I am super proud of because it resulted in me having the wife that I have and the family and kids that I currently have is that I pursued my wife with no regard for my own heart. Mm. I knew going in, my my wife is six years younger than me. Uh, She was 20 when we started dating. and I was 26, almost 27. And I knew going in that there that she was interested in me. I knew I knew that she was. But I also knew I was going to have to go get her. I knew I was going to have to pursue that bit of interest because she had other things in life. She had it all together. She had a great job, she had great friends, she had great circle. She didn't need me. Yeah. Like it wasn't like there was a gaping hole in her life that I was going to sweep in and fill. Like that was she didn't need me. But but I I saw the potential for what was there for us and I just made a choice that I'm going to pursue her without regard for my own heart. Now, I took myself into check first. I mean, I, I sat down and I thought to myself, am I really willing to put my heart out there and be willing to be hurt and be honest and be truthful and let her yep. know what my intentions are right off the bat and then just go and see what's going to happen? Um, and that took some soul searching and that was hard because uh, yeah. I'd been through some relational junk uh, that, that made that more difficult. Uh, but the Lord really used that as a healing opportunity for me to basically say, you know, I trust that my heart's going to be whole because my heart is with you, yeah. And and so I can put it out there and I can let it take a hit, and uh, and it was it was scary, but my goodness, was it incredibly rewarding. And again, I'm still reaping the benefits of of making that choice. So yeah, uh, I, I I will say it from the from the man's perspective because I am a man. Be a man, and be willing. To put your heart out there, if you're if you're pursuing a woman, if she is worth pursuing, and they almost all are, <laughs> um, if she is worth pursuing, then you need to be willing to put your heart on the line and and just lay it out there uh, and be willing to take a hit yep. and be okay with that and not hold that against women or that woman in particular, but just say, you know what, that's that's what my heart was made for, and it's
0: secure in Christ, and I can move on now. Um, one of the things that I'm really glad that I did is continue to give my son opportunities to succeed and fail. Yeah. Um, All while continuing to let him know that I'm proud of him regardless. Right. Um, And that can be in sports. That can be in jumping off the couch. It can be in whatever. But giving him opportunities to succeed and fail. Yeah. uh, And not trying to catch him or whatever. But encouraging him to do... Bigger things than he's currently doing. Um, the other side of that is I'm glad that I have not pushed him to play any sports. Uh, mm. one of the things that I would be dreadfully concerned about is that if he were playing high school football and I made him do it and he blows out his knee, yeah. I would feel like that's on me yeah. and I don't want that. So if at any point he does want to quit I'm going to encourage him to do big things if that's something that he's already going for. Right. And I'm going to give him those opportunities to succeed and fail. And, you know, I'm here for you regardless. Um, but I'm not going to do it for you. Yeah. And I'm also not going to push you into it. It isn't going to be me pushing you off the edge. Right. But I'm going to, I just want to give you the power to do that. Yeah. Um. So that, that walking, the balance between not... Being a helicopter parent, being there all the time, trying to catch him from everything, uh, but letting him kind of do his thing and not forcing him into anything, but also being close enough to be like, hey, man, proud of you. Yeah. So um, those those things I do feel like we got right. And, yeah, um, this week on the podcast, um, let's see. I'd like to know your favorite episode. Yeah. I really would. Um, I know that I know from looking at our algorithms and stuff, what uh, got the most plays so far. (laughs) And we've been going at this almost a year. So you have a lot to choose from. Yeah. Um, Go ahead and tell us which of the nearly 40 episodes that we have. That's crazy. um, was your favorite? Yeah. And, and that way we have a little bit of something to go off of. That's something that all of you can do. You can reach out to us from any of the Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, you know, email. Because we are on Instagram whatever, now. Whatever it is uh, Twitter and Instagram at TTWS Podcast, at Facebook at the Things We Say Podcast. Email is thethingswe say at mail.com. So catch you guys all next week. Yeah. yeah. And uh, we look forward to it. Thanks for listening. Thanks for joining the conversation today. The
1: Things We Say is produced by Nate Ward. Technical direction is provided by Sheldon Stauffer. You can subscribe to The Things We Say on SoundCloud and iTunes. Don't forget to like us on Facebook at The Things We Say Podcast to keep the conversation going. This has been The Things We Say. See you next time.